Entrepreneur, author, and financial consultant Mark Bernstein helps high-performing entrepreneurial business owners create a vision for the future and follow through on their goals and intentions. Ange Honorato is a business growth strategist who blends psychology and business together to create conscious leaders and business owners who impact the world. Founders Forum is a radio show podcast sharing the real stories behind entrepreneurship as founders discover more about themselves while providing valuable lessons and some fun and entertainment for you. Now, here's Mark and Ange. Good morning, America. Good morning, Philadelphia. Good morning, Wisconsin. Since we have Steve Pencalo on with us today, coming from Wisconsin, and we'll introduce him formally in a few minutes, but... Um, and we were talking, we did, we actually did a show earlier today and we were talking about, um, the Phillies loss last night and we thought that was the beginning of a Philadelphia sports dynasty and hopefully it still is, but it's, it's hard to see that on the day after. Um, but we've got talking about the difference between dynasty and legacy. And so you were talking about dynasty and thought we would talk about that, but there, talk about your definition of the difference between a dynasty and a legacy, and then we can apply that to um, Wisconsin as well. Yeah, you know, so I was driving into the studio today, just completely crushed and devastated, did not expect that we would be talking about not going to the World Series, right? And, um, you know, it was... And was, I had to eat my words on the radio that the Phillies were going to win yeah, the World I think Series. The, well, the whole city did, but... Um, you know, I was, I was really feeling it and I kind of thought, you know, I had an hour drive in and I'm thinking, you know, I grew up with this. My grandparents are huge fans. My mom's a huge fan to this day. Um, she's got season tickets. I was at game six, you know, trying to process everything. And on the radio, the local guys were talking about, you know, this really does stink, but the owner of the Phillies wants to ensure that we're building a dynasty. And it got me thinking that we didn't win this one. Right, but what is the difference between a legacy and a dynasty? And I, for me, it was like I think they can be interchangeable sometimes. But a legacy is is kind of what you leave behind. Where a dynasty, I feel like, is the foundation of what are you building on top of, right? And never never settling for complacency or even a moderate level of success. That it's constantly building and innovation above that. And it helped me process this loss by thinking, all right, we didn't win this one, but. Are we really built to be a dynasty? Are we going to look back in two generations like they did in the 80s with the, the Phillies or our guest Steve here is going to talk about his dynasty of the Packers? What does that really mean? And how does that tie into business and life and um, and just that constant striving? And so I'm, I'm hurting today, but I'm feeling like, all right, you know, we're just going to build back better for next year. It's, I think that's the best way to think of it. I'll just mention that I was a partner in a company for a long time that really built quite a dynasty, was always number one in the industry for a long, long time. But something happened along the way to the culture where um, it I don't believe there is going to be that legacy, uh, although it had been a dynasty. And I think that happens. You can see that with sports teams as well. So speaking of which, let's talk about the Green Bay Packers for a minute since Steve's from Wisconsin and a Packers fan. How would you view that uh, that conversation in regard to the Packers? We hear that. By the way, good morning. Mark good good morning. Thanks for having me. And Appreciate thanks for being here, Steve. Yeah, it's it's that's a word we hear about a lot, or we've heard that word a lot in this in this state because of the Packers, a dynasty. And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, Brett Favre had a good run, Aaron Rodgers had a good run, and now everybody's ready to throw in the towel. This, this young guy, Jordan Love, 
they want to give up on them already. Mm. Well, know? I think so, it's amazing, so, by the way. Yeah, right, right. So, and and, and, and it sounds like you live in Philadelphia because that's what they do here too. So, <laughs> they so. give up pretty easily. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that, that, that's a very near and dear to my heart that, that word dynasty, you know, how do I apply that to my business guys? Well, I guess I don't look at binding edge as a dynasty more so as a, like a go-to, you know, as, as the market has changed in our industry, we're kind of one of the last guys standing. And so it's, I guess I don't look at us as a dynasty. I love the other thought too of, of legacy. You know, what am I leaving behind? And that's a, that's a big responsibility. I think about that. And it's not just a paper converting book binding manufacturing company, but what type of company am I leaving behind? What is a legacy to continue to, support and encourage people and help them grow and be desires to come to work and, and, and make a difference. And that's really what I think about is what type of legacy. And that, that is, to me is, is more of an impactful thought than a, a dynasty, I guess. So Steve, I know you don't do a lot of these shows, but you just did a beautiful transition. So really appreciate that. <laughs> like a professional. <laughs> I thought you were going to be probably yell at me. That no, like really, really well done. So, so listen. So I'm let me officially introduce Steve Pencala now. He is the founder and owner of Binding Edge Eat Inc. and Binding Edge Inc. and Quality Coil. Uh, he has 47 years experience in the printing, graphing, finishing, graphic finishing, and paper converting industry and has experience in that business ranging from machine operation, sales, sales management, business ownership, pretty much everything you can do in the printing and paper conversion industries, I would think. And his ultimate goal is to integrate his faith into the workplace and with the desire to have an internal, eternal impact on those who he works alongside, which he just referenced actually in that great transition. Um, so officially welcome, Steve, and like to start out asking you a little bit about how you got there. How did you become the founder and owner of Binding Edge? Oh gosh. You know, I, I just think about my childhood years growing up in Wisconsin, Appleton, Wisconsin, my, my grandfather, my father, and my two uncles, all of them worked for the same company, a printing and publishing company in various roles, management for some, machine operation for others. And so early on, I just, I, I knew about the industry and for whatever reason, it, it intrigued me. When I was 16, we still had co-op classes in high school and there, there was woodworking, there was metals. Well, I took a printing co-op, which meant half the day I was in my class, the other half I'd go out in the community. In my case, I ran a, a printing press at a local hospital. And that experience, I learned early that I was not a machine operator. I, I was terrible at it. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I, I, I wanted to master it so much that I convinced my parents to go out and buy a small press and they put it in our basement in our home so I could run this thing. Mm-hmm. And for Christmas, I would run business cards and pads for the family. So that's that was kind of my introduction back in the late 70s. I As I said, I, I, I did not have any desire to run a machine. So... I took a couple of years off after high school, worked for a paper mill, which obviously is a related industry. Again, found out that wasn't for me and went back to college, got a bachelor's degree in, in business and economics. After college, natural thing for me was 
find a job in the printing industry. So I did that and worked for a couple of years for a local printing company in sales, um, walked through the door and they said, you know, here's a business card, go at it, Tiger. No accounts, nothing. So I learned kind of the hard way, just knocking on doors. I, after two years, found out that there was another local company that I could could make a heck of a lot more money. And I went there, worked for five years in printing again. And then after that, a, a search, uh, executive search firm sought me out to be in sales management for another company. I did that for three years. And during that time, Mark, what I did is I would be on sales calls. I was a sales manager. I would be on sales calls with my salespeople. And I just started asking questions. What's mi- what's missing in our in our region? What's missing in our area? And I kept hearing people repeatedly tell me that there was a lack of a good book binder or paper converter. And I honestly, I'd leave those meetings and I ha- I'd have to research because I had no idea what that meant. And that was in, oh gosh, that had to be 19... 19- 1993, I believe it was. So I started I started my process of putting together a business plan in 93. Uh, it was in 1994. I got approval from a bank based on a business plan. I had a buddy who had a flatbed truck. We drove around the Midwest, bought equipment, put on the flatbed truck, bought it back to Nina, Wisconsin, rented a building, put the equipment in there. January 1st, 1995, got our first order from my attorney, 50 books. So that's that's how Finding that's that's Edge started. That's great. And these, it started with a need. You identified a need and filled the need, which is pretty interesting. And, you yes. know, you don't think of – I've worked in the past with a lot of people in the graphics industry and, and uh, printing. In fact, I grew up – I think I may have mentioned to you in the greeting card business, although my family mm-hmm. were distributors, but I was around manufacturers. We would go to the plants and things like that. So kind of familiar with all that. Um, but you don't really think of like that – you, you look for a specific need to fill. I, I want to jump ahead maybe 20 years or so when, or in the early 2000s, I think, when you came into a situation where you, in order to grow and to keep up and to be profitable, you had to make a major investment in the company, which your advisors told you was not a great idea. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Absolutely. At the time, um, probably just in my, in our city, there was four or five companies doing what I did. So there was one company that was a great need to begin with, but then I started a second business and then there were a couple of other people that started. Anyway, what, what, what I determined was I could continue to try to, to compete with these small guys. A couple of guys literally worked out of the garage, no overhead. I couldn't compete with them. So I did some research, worked with one of our vendors. And in the end, he convinced me to take a trip over to, to Germany. So my wife and I went to Germany and they showed me a bookbinding machine that would punch and bind plastic spiral books. And at the time, most people were doing this by hand. Plastic spiral books at about eight to 900 books an hour. Doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about taking a piece of PVC plastic and forming it into a coil and binding a book, it's, it's pretty fast. So at that point in Germany, I signed the paper for this company to, to to literally build for me a custom machine. This is some not wasn't something on a shelf. Mm. They literally had to build this for me. So it, it took close to a year to have this thing built. But I got back and whether it was my banker, my accountant, I had an advisor at the time, they said, What were you thinking? Or what are you thinking? 
the size of your company, this is going to be a million dollars for the machine. Then you have installation and you have transportation, getting it from Germany to here. And I, and I said, no, I've got this figured out because honestly I ran the numbers and it, it made sense. But I'll tell you when, when it first arrived and that first payment had to be made, <laughs> it was hard to sleep. It was difficult to sleep. But now I look back, if we wouldn't have done that, we would not be in business now. What, what that machine does with two people, my competitors would require between seven and nine people to, to, to put out what we can do in an hour with two people. So the automation is tremendous. If I wouldn't have done that, I honestly think we wouldn't be here today. And I know that wasn't the last time you had to innovate through automation. And we'll talk about, we have a break coming up, but we'll talk about that after the break. Um, so you've had some challenges. That was a big challenge. So competition from local people. My understanding is, Steve, that you're probably the primary bookbinder in the Midwest today. And we talked about the numbers. Uh, is that a fair statement that you're primary or one of the primaries? One, one of the primary, yes. Yeah. And how many, how many books a year do you think you bind? Combination of different processes, probably about 4 million. That's pretty, pretty, pretty amazing for um, small business in middle America. Hey, right. with that, um, let's take a quick break, uh, commercial break. We'll be 30, 60 seconds, and we'll be back very shortly with Founders Forum. Steve Pincala founded Binding Edge nearly 30 years ago after recognizing a need for a reliable, creative, and forward-thinking binding and finishing company to serve printers and publishers across the Midwest and beyond. Today, the team at Binding Edge has a reputation for producing exceptional materials, providing meaningful employment, and giving back to the local communities. Learn more about Binding Edge's comprehensive services, competitive pricing, and top-tier customer service by visiting bindingedge.com. We are back on Founders Forum, and uh, we're talking to Steve Pencala of Binding Edge, Inc. out of Wisconsin. Steve, we were talking about, um, you know, some challenges you had and what you had to do to overcome those challenges. I know another one that you've had over the years is employees, you know, finding the right people and keeping them. Um, do you want to talk about that a minute? And then I know Ange has, likes to talk a lot about company culture and um, she'll go a little deeper on that question with you. Yeah, I mean, it w it really began finding good talent during the pandemic. We had some people that, let me just step back real quick. We, we were deemed essential. A lot of the books that we do are going to the government, their federal regulations, their things of that nature. So we were deemed um essential and that that didn't sit well with a portion of my team and and we gave them the choice we said if you want to take time off and not come in we, we get it and some of those people just never came back and you know our, our tenure at one time was 20 years and now it's probably down to about about 10 or 12 and and following or coming out of the pandemic the biggest thing that we faced here in our region in in northeast wisconsin was any place I would drive during down the interstate, there would be starting wages between between twenty two and thirty dollars an hour, and signing bonus of five thousand dollars. Well, in our industry, I always kind of thought to myself, I won't be around to see the minimum wage be, be at fifteen dollars. Well, 
we quickly had to get to $15 and at that we couldn't find people. So, you know, we're, we are somewhere around the upper teens to lower twenties to get people through the door. And that was the biggest challenge because I would have some, some of those people that the tenure they had would come to my door and say, Hey, Steve, I can make X amount and X amount was $10 more than I was paying them here. Right. And in my mind, I wanted to pay them that, but the moment I would do that, then there would be a line outside my door because they all talk. We know that. Sure. And they'll, they would all want to raise. So that, that's been a real challenge. I'm, I'm really pleased to report in the past year, year and a half, that has changed. There's a lot more talent available. Uh, there's, there's more people that are looking for work in our area. I'm not sure about your area, but it, it's, it's encouraging. And, and we, we, we've seen that swing in the past 12 to... I would say fourteen months. Um, and one of the, uh, I want I know Ann's going to want to get more into the employee issue, but you also I know part of your solution to that um, in the pandemic was again use of automation to help handle that problem. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, great point, Mark. That, that was during that time um, we had. I guess we were just we were really blessed with with cash flow and it wasn't due to PPP or anything else. And so we invested close to three quarters of a million dollars in equipment that, for example, we replaced a piece of equipment that took took two and a half, three hours to set up to it took 15 minutes to set it up. And honestly, I could set it up. And where it would normally take on the old piece of equipment two or three people to run, one person can run it. So we we added equipment that the setup was quicker and it required less manpower on it and that's really served us well that's great so and so go ahead yeah yeah so steve that that's so interesting i mean i think i love the way that you're you know you're looking at um solutions to sort of a human problem in some ways right so during that time and you know i come from the place as mark said of, of the human capital and and labor and organizational design and company culture and all of that so you know you've got the challenge of, of initially finding the availability of talent being able to pay them. Um, but I'm also curious about on the retention side, right? So you're saying you had long tenures and maybe that shrunk a little bit, but both in an industry where on the outside looking in, and you shared a little bit about this before the show about, you know, some people might perceive it as kind of a dying industry in the book binding industry, but it sounds like you've done a number of things, both in terms of how you approach that piece of it, right? The existing coinciding with digital technology, but also I love the stories that you're telling us about how you keep the culture and how you embody, it seems, servant leadership. You know, you want to share a story with us about, you know, what do you do to kind of make your staff feel welcomed and appreciated? Because I don't think a lot of owners are understanding that. There's a big push to return to office and it's just making a bigger divide between employees and management. So tell us a little bit about that from your perspective. Yeah, and that's a great question. And and the thing that that we all know is the perception is going to be different with anybody on whether it's my production floor or on a different production floor. But you're right. The, the, for a long time, honestly, it's going to sound terrible to you, but for the longest time, and this was this was 25 years ago, I looked at my team out there as an asset. Well, they're not an asset. They're not a machine. And, and what I learned over the years is this is, it might sound simple to you, but I get here between 5 and 5.30 in the morning with a, a cup of Starbucks and I walk from workstation to workstation. And someone might want to chat and someone might not. And it's and one day it's 
an issue with their child or they had a car accident, whatever. So, so I, I intentionally take the time to walk around and I encourage my two other supervisors, we're just not going to blow through this place and push numbers and expect people just to make money for us. We want to get to know them. We want to spend time with them and, and they've bought into that. So that, I mean, that, that's one thing. Another thing that uh, this morning I, I, we did, I did was um, with my leadership team, I was up rather early, and um, I, I was hoping you'd get to this. This is a great story. But go ahead. <laughs> I was up rather early. We'll just say three a.m. Um, and I set up a a I guess I'll call it a like a a kitchen back in our shipping and receiving area, and we we made bacon and eggs and toast and hash browns and serve juice and 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 we did that and, and you know what guys it's it's not we're not trying to we're not trying to bribe people to perform for us we just feel that it's our job to serve them because what they do for us every day is amazing what they do for us is when we expect overtime most of them don't right they and they, and they work they, they they put the hours in so once a month we put on our calendar just a different activity whether it was this morning it was breakfast um we do well. The the big one throughout the years, we'll we'll do steaks and, and baked potatoes, and and we'll we'll serve them on white linen. So we just do different things like that. And like I said, some people kind of look at it as like you know what's behind this, and what's really behind it is we we truly genuinely appreciate what they do for us. That's you know the term for that in today's world, Steve. I think is conscious leadership, and it's really near and mm-hmm. dear to my heart. You know, you're you're shifting that mindset from looking at them as an asset to embodying servant leadership. So I I think that's an amazing lesson, and I can't wait for all of our listeners that own and you know found companies to to kind of learn from that because it's important more than ever. I think. Yes, I agree. Um, Steve, looking ahead, because um, I know. It's a business, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say non-tech business because you do use some advanced technology and, and, um, innovation in your business, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a business of tangibles, which is one of the reasons I was really anxious to have you here because a lot, we talked to a lot of business, a lot of business people you talk to today are doing consulting or they're dealing Mm -hmm. with thinking or they're dealing with technology or they're dealing with less tangible things. And we still have the need, and it's one of the reasons why I mentioned to you we have this Manufacturers Forward Focus Forum to talk about what's going on in manufacturing as it comes back to America because things still need to be made, which is why I'm thrilled to have you here today. Um, Given that, um, where do you see – if if this were October of uh, 2000. 26 it's three years from now and you're looking back on the last three years what would have to happen for you to feel that that was a successful three-year period in your life and in your business well when i think about the the three-year vision and i guess even beyond i'm just gonna maybe digress a little bit it 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 I've all, I always hoped that one of my sons would have a desire to be involved in the business. Our, my, our eldest son lives in Boston, and he's, he has a job that he wouldn't have any interest in. Our, our younger son lives in Manhattan, and he actually produces commercials. So he was recently home, and, and during the course of his visit and over dinner and a couple glasses of wine, I said, hey, what about the business? I just off the cuff, what about the business? Mm-hmm. He said, well, I never thought you would want me to run the business. So... Um, 
there's there's a possibility for that. But the, the biggest mark, the biggest thing right now, I'm presently working on a transition plan. So in 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 three years, what would that look like for me? I have a I have a 10% owner in the business right now. Uh, we have a couple of other people that would like to to invest as well. And in three years, you know what? I would like to myself. I'd like to be rid. I would like to be done with the the HR stuff, some of the safety stuff, some of the AR, the AP, some of the administrative stuff, and just go out and solve the customers' problems. That's that's what I'm best at. Mm-hmm. And and I. I, I would be perfectly fine, Mark, if if at that point I completely sold 100% or if I just was a m- minority owner. But my, that's kind of my three-year vision, my three-year plan. And, and Ange and Mark, you're the first to know this. Other, I mean, th- that much detail because I haven't really talked to too many people about that. You know, we all hear it's tough at the top. And, you know, I set my office and I, I, don't, I can't really share that with a lot of people because... I would hate to have a mass exodus because Steve is going to leave or he's going to be out of here in three years and I've got a good team and I, uh, I, I wouldn't want that to happen. I do need to I'm remind not sure you. that answered your question. You are, you are sharing it with a lot of people. You know. <laughs> I know. Well, my <laughs> team, hopefully not. Yeah. yeah. You'll have time to prepare them. <laughs> we, we, anyway, but listen, it's a natural thing to think about. I don't think you have to worry. It's a prudent thing and, to think about. And you just yeah, said, right. what I heard you say is you want to stay engaged with the business doing what you do best or what I like to call your unique ability, which mm-hmm. is serving the customer's needs. That's, that's a great, uh, to use a word you didn't want to use, but it's an asset to the business that you mm-hmm. want to be there. So I don't see that as a threat that would actually, uh, encourage, um, employees. I think that they're going to have a job for the foreseeable future, you know, and that there might be, if not a dynasty, a legacy <laughs> left as a result. Um, right. and, and so we do just have about another minute, um, what do you like to do in your spare time? Because you kind of alluded to it earlier, but what, it, what, what do you do for fun? Oh goodness. You too. I absolutely love to cook. I just, <laughs> I, I can have the worst day I can get home and I can, I can just not even a recipe. I can just start making stuff up and that's my creativity. We have, we have something in and, common cause I love to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling, Steve, you might have a you might have a new recruiting tactic. I think you might have a line of applications for people if they know they're gonna get a home cooked, you know, meal by the founder of the company. So I, I think you're doing all right. But but yeah, and I think you mentioned earlier Italian is your is your favorite. Um it is, flavor. Yes. So that, homemade pasta. Homemade pasta. Wow. Like homemade pasta. Homemade pasta. Yeah. Very yeah. nice. Hey, we're almost out of time, but listen, you've said a lot here today. You've talked a lot about your business. You've talked about several times you had to pivot in the business, including the pandemic, like many of us. And you talked about a great future, and you talked about uh, a way to incorporate your passion into the business while serving your your uh, your ultimate customer, not your ultimate customers, but your customers who are your employees, mm-hmm. which is really an amazing thing. So we really appreciate you having having you here today, Steve, and uh, wish you continued success. And we thank all of you for being here today on Founders Forum. And we hope that you'll listen next week for more stories of our founders and uh, as they look to their futures. Thanks and have a great week. Have a good one, Ange. <laughs>